the city. I am so excited about this message today. I'm excited about this series and what it's doing in my heart, what it's doing in my life, how it's speaking to me. And I'm so glad that you're here this morning to worship with us in the Word of God. Last week, we identified greater things. We identified how God is, is He's not done. Not only is He not done, you know, there's a big famous song, right? God's not dead. You know, He's surely alive. You know, He, he is on the move. He is doing a work in our lives. And we, we've got to be ready for that. So we went through the wilderness and we were prepped. Our hearts were prepped for the work that God has for us. We watched how Jesus himself went into the wilderness and God prepared him for the work that he had to do. And then he went back to his hometown, right? Jesus went back to his hometown after some time, about a year. Uh, after about a year of doing ministry, uh, going through Judea, and, and really the Bible says that his name was famed in the land. So coming from the wilderness, beginning his earthly ministry, it took one year where he was really doing ministry work and, and healing people. We talked about how um, you know, he turned the water into wine. He met with the Samaritan woman um, and really began to do a work, a gospel work in a way that had never been done before. And then it, it you know, all of, all of that, those things that he was doing, made its way back to his hometown. And then Jesus comes into his hometown. Uh, he gets to the city, the place where everyone knows him. And so we're really, we're, we're not talking about necessarily, what are we going to do in Baltimore City? What are we going to do? You know, we're going to go down there and, and we're going to occupy streets and do, you know, that's not really the point of the, of the series. The point of the series is, is that when you have been led to a place to do a work of God, your hometown, your neighbor, the people, your family, could be your family, when God brings you to that place, are you ready to do that work? Are you ready to launch out, if you will? You know that song, to step out of my comfort zone into the realm of the unknown where Jesus is, and he's holding out his hand right? Remember Peter? That moment where he's taking a step into a ministry, into a life change. That's the city. And and we also, we talked about how sometimes the hardest work for God, the hardest work that you'll do for God is with people that know you, is with people that are maybe related to you. It's one thing to witness and and help and be a, a blessing to a stranger, But it's another thing to be a blessing to someone who you grew up with, who knows every little gory detail about you. And so we talked about that a little bit, how how the reception of Jesus was different in his hometown in the city than it was when he was in other places. So that's kind of catching you up to where we're at in this series. But you see here, uh, you know, we have a few props here if it's your first week here, defining the city. And, and really the point is, is do people see Jesus in you, in your location of where God has you? Do the people that are around you, where God has placed you, do they see Jesus? Do they see the cross in you? Are you raising it up for all to see him through you? so that you can do this work. And that's kind of the idea behind this. Wherever God has you in your life sitting, whatever place he's brought you to, by whatever means he has brought you there, 
Do they see Jesus in you? Do you understand? Some of us are still riding bikes, figuratively speaking. Some of us haven't sped up, if you will, in our lives. We try to keep it slow. Others, me, we're like a ping pong ball. I'm everywhere. I'm all over the place doing all these crazy things because that's, that's just who I am in Jesus. But whatever means God has brought you to where you are is the cross in view. That's the important thing in the study of the city. So I want to take it a little bit of a different direction today. I didn't get to this portion of the message last week, and I felt like there was a reason why. So I wanted to develop this thought even further. Even further where, anybody remember the story last week, kind of where we were? Greater things. Tell me something about the story that you remember last week when we were kind of dealing in the message. Any, anybody? Where did Jesus go? Mo? Right? Went back to his hometown. Perfect. And tell me something about that story. What happened there when he went? Exactly. You think that you're something, right? What did they say? Show us. Right? Prove yourself that you really are who you say you are. What else happened? What else stuck with you about the story last week when Jesus made it to the place where God was really challenging him in that sense? Someone else. Tell me something that you learned last week or connected with in that story. Not all at once. <laughs> Jesus was what now? Okay. Mm-hmm. So before Jesus got there, one of the miracles that he had performed to cause the fame to go to his city was the fact that he approached Nathaniel under that, under that tree. And basically, he had he, he told, not approached him under that tree, but when Jesus uh, met Nathaniel and he said, you know, basically, you're a follower, you're, you're someone who God is doing a work in, and Nathaniel's like, how do you know me? And he's like, you know, just the other day, you were sitting under that tree, and what, what did you tell me, Pastor Brown, though? He was reading the scriptures, right? Yeah. I he, believe so, yeah. Pastor Brown, though, after the service, he told me, he's like, Matt, what was he doing under the tree? I'm like, I don't know. What was he doing? <laughs> he's like, he was reading. I think he was reading for uh, uh, Jacob when he fled from his brother Esau. He saw, had a vision. He saw the angels of God ascending up on a ladder from earth to heaven. Jacob's ladder. And I believe he was reading that because Jesus said to him, just a little bit afterwards, hereafter shall you see the angels of God ascending and descending mm-hmm. upon the Son of Man. Amen. That ladder, that ladder was Jesus. Amen. That's neat. But the point in that, what, what you're bringing up is the fact that he, Jesus basically said, yeah, you were sitting under that tree just the other day, and he was obviously by himself. And then he was, Rabbi, truly you're the son of God. For you to know where I was at the other day by myself, and you're basically going to call me out, you were there underneath that tree, are you kidding me? This guy is who he said he was. So the point is, is that he was the Messiah. He proved it from scripture. He came into his hometown to, he went right to the synagogue to stand up in the synagogue, to read scripture, to share with them, the people who he grew up with, what he was going to do in his earthly ministry. And he was rejected. They ran him out. 
tried to run him out of the city and throw him off a cliff. But the Bible says that he passed through the midst of them. He escaped. He got through, which was a miracle in and of itself. And sometimes I think we can relate to this, right? We can relate to the idea that when we get to that point in our lives that it's time for God to do a work, there's challenges. And I want to, here, here's the, my whole goal with this. My whole goal with this study is to get you through those challenges, is to have breakthrough is for you to have victory, for you to get through the things that, the challenges that the devil will put in front of you, right? Because he doesn't want you to do greater things. How many of you feel the pressure from him sometimes? Weighing down upon you, trying to prevent you from doing that. And, and he doesn't want you to get through, but, but I want to give you the tools. I want to give you the necessary things that you need, things that I, I've seen Jesus do in this text to break through. Greater things. We said last week that Jesus' message was to those that are broken. Remember? The whole point when Jesus came to the synagogue was that his message was to those that needed healing. Those that were hurting. And we identified with that last week. How many of you can still identify with the fact that we're just broken? We're just hurting? Mentally, spiritually emotionally broken. And the Bible says that when you're at that place, greater things are coming. But the problem was, is those in the synagogue, those that Jesus was taking his message to, they were the religious of the day. The Samaritan woman, Pastor Brown, though, where you spoke two weeks ago, she accepted it. When Jesus called her out on her sin, she was like, oh my goodness, you're exactly right where I am, and I want healing. I want to accept it. Why did she want it? Because she was broken. Make sense? Then she moved on to greater things. So when we move on to greater things, it's because we realize that we couldn't get ourselves to greater things. We needed someone greater to take us to greater things. But the religious crowd that thought they had it all together, those he uses the word poor and rich to define someone who's poor in spirit. Some of you think that your morality, your ideologies are rich. I, I get through life just fine with the way I see things with the way I dissect things. And you know what? Here's my point to you. You have to find yourself broken, even if you think that you're not broken. Because you are. Romans 3.23 is still in the book. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Romans road is still there because sinners need to walk down that road. But if we don't identify ourselves as broken, we'll never find healing. Because you think you're whole. So for all the people in the room that are already there, broken, just like me, Find healing today. Find greater things. And for all of you that think that you're doing all right, you think you got it figured out, I think it's time to do a little soul searching and see that you're not as whole as you think you are. The title of this week's message, week week two of the city series, is Identifying Greater Things. Identifying greater things. Greater things are yet to come. Greater things are still to be done. But what happens when they come? What happens when it's time? What happens when here's the moment and some of us miss it? You know what I mean? Like in child rearing. This really doesn't have anything to do with anything, but I feel like you need a story. Everyone's half asleep this morning. Last night we're sitting there on the floor and uh, we played a game. We put the twins to bed. We're trying to give individual time to each child so that they feel like mom and dad are connecting with them and, and love them, which is a smart thing to do. 
Are you so wrapped up in what you have going on around you that you're missing your children, missing their needs and what they need, right? I think that I'm very easily the type of person that will wake up and all my kids will be grown and out of the house and I'm going to say, what just happened? Because I get consumed with job. I get consumed with this church. I get consumed with the work, with the greater thing, and I miss the greater things in my home. Right? I'm that type of person. My wife knows that. So she yanks on that leash every now and then. That's right, a leash. I said it. <laughs> yanks on it. What are you doing? Put the choker collar on. Sit down, Matt, and spend time with your kids. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Exactly, because I love them more than anything. Right? But I need that encouragement. My wife balances me out in that. So we put the kids to bed, and we, you know, we sit down, the, the twins, we sit down with Rainy to play a game, and I realize that she is just like me in these areas. She's highly competitive. Cannot handle a loss. Cannot. We're playing this fishy game where we have these fishing poles and, and we're going like this and the fish opens his mouth and closes it. Anybody play that game? It goes in a circle and it opens his mouth and closes it. So here's what my daughter does. She sees, oh, the hard part about this game is the fact that the fishing pole is on a hinge and it's really hard to move it right into the mouth. What does she do? She grips it up high. Sticks it right in the mouth, pulls one out, sticks it right in the mouth, pulls one out. And I said, Rainy, that's cheating. No, it's not, Dad. It's called winning. (laughs) I'm like, who is this child? (laughs) Me. It's like the couple's activity. I heard people cheering in other rooms that were not in my room. No, we cannot lose. We must have the time that is the shortest. (laughs) You know, who escaped the room the fastest? It must be us. And then I needed validation when I left that room to go out and say, so which room is the hardest? I got her on tape. It was the chocolate factory. (laughs) Exactly. You know it. But my daughter's very much like me. And when daddy had more fishies out of the pond than she did, guess what? She didn't want to play. Shut it down. I'm done. I'm like, well, go to bed. Sure. (laughs) She cannot handle a loss. Cannot. So her mother, much more patient than I, Rainy. Really, it's the opposite. She gets mad at her. (laughs) I'm like, Rainy, it's, it's okay. Good game, right? Good game. Good game, Dad. Like, it's everything in her to, uh, to say that it was a good game even though she didn't win. Because in her mind, if she didn't win, it wasn't a good game. But we're taking that time to reflect, and it was time for her to go to bed, and it was kind of funny because Sarah's like, you know, go brush your teeth. Your dad will help you. You know, and I'm like, in my mind, I know that Sarah is fostering me, spending more time with her at bed, and, you know, all that. And, and I'm thinking about tomorrow. I'm thinking about today, right? last night, and I'm, oh, yeah, yeah, and I'm like, wait a minute, no, you help her brush her teeth, (laughs) and then as parents, you start arguing, you're way better at brushing teeth than I am, like, (laughs) like, what is that, you're so much better, look at your teeth, they're so much wider, and you, like, get into this argument over who's better at brushing teeth, so that it's your responsibility to go help her brush her teeth, because you're way better at it, so we were just, we got a big kick out of that last night, about when you reach that point as parents, where you're arguing over the dumbest things, no, you're way better at getting kids dressed than I am. (laughs) Anyway, so uh, that was the comic relief that I needed. But you have to identify greater things in your life when it's time to move forward. When it's time to see those areas in your life that need the attention and give it to it. Right? Some of it, it's like uh, Simon Sinek, what does he call it? it? The tipping point. That tipping point in your life where, spiritually speaking, you've gone through so many valleys. And God is about ready to bless you. 
We sang the first song for a reason. You give and take away. You give and take away. But you know what? Blessed be your name, God. And some of you, you're in a season where things have been taken away. And he's ready to give. And you quit. And you fall short. You were like, yeah, greater things are coming. Greater things. And then the devil snuffs you out. I wonder what would have happened if that synagogue of believers, believers that could have been, when Jesus was sharing with them, if they would have all said, truly, you are the Messiah. Truly, you are the Son of God. We accept you for your message. What would have happened to their families? What would have happened to their lives? You understand what I'm saying? Are you in that point, that tipping point, where you are identifying greater things? Luke chapter 4, verse 22, go there. Luke, 24, Luke chapter 4, verse 22. This morning's message is super practical. I was all over the place last week, really laying the groundwork for the series. But today is going to be a closer look inside the heart of these people who are in this synagogue. Look at verse 22, chapter 4, verse 22. Are you there? Say yes. Okay. Chapter 4, verse 22. And all bear him witness. And wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. This was at the beginning. It was kind of a shock and awe state when Jesus hit them with this, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one filled with the Holy Ghost, right? Look at it. And they said, watch this, is not this Joseph's son? This is the same crowd. This is the same story. I didn't move past it for this week. I want to go deeper into this story. Remember, they're sitting there in their seats. Jesus stood up in the synagogue and read the text and sat down after he said, I'm I'm here to heal the poor and the broken. And when he sat down, they looked at him and they said, is this? Go back. Can you go back a verse? Verse 22. Look at the end of it. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Immediately going to how he grew up. Immediately going to his roots, who he was as a child. Could this really be? Look at verse 23. And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And we talked about this a little bit in the, in the <laughs> intro here. Where they said to Jesus, We want to see it for ourselves. Verse 24. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. I want to break down these three verses right here. More. I want to dive deeper than we we hit the surface last week. About how this congregation of people in this synagogue, they were not broken. Therefore, they did not receive forgiveness. I want to go deeper into this text and find three reasons why they did not identify greater things. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much. We ask that your church would be of one heart, of one mind, and one accord. Holy Spirit, move over us. Speak life into us. May we walk away identifying greater things in our lives the second week in this study, in this amazing text. In your son's precious and holy name, amen identifying greater things. You ever look at somebody, once again, who had the whole world at their fingertips and wasted it? 
a brother, a sister, maybe had the same opportunities that you had, but did nothing with it. Or some that had everything and they were doing it and maybe lost their life or passed away. And in your mind, it just seems like such a waste. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think the worst part of that, especially in this scenario, th- these people had the Son of God standing in front of them. You know, we all talk about the lottery, right? Man, if I could just win the lottery, it would change everything. Yeah, would it? <laughs> no, it wouldn't. You'd be just as broke in three months with a lot of stuff that you don't need. I know what'll fix it. Money, <laughs> right? We, we identify the things in our life that we think will produce greater things, but we never identify the things that will actually produce greater things. And this congregation was no exception. So here, as we dive deeper, look at verse 22. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is it not Joseph's son? Listen to this. What are we saying when we say that something is greater? The item or process that once was in a ruling position in our lives has now fell prey to a new sheriff in which we have found an increase in one area or another. This is the broken wanting greater things. But in verse 22, we find this. OCD. OCD. The status quo is interrupted. Change is a new agent. Change is a new agent. You say to yourself, I'm okay. I can do this. I can can experience change. But in reality, they were not identifying greater things because they were OCD. Obviously, uh, I have have some Baptist blood in me, so these all begin with the same letters, so that's why I chose O, OCD. You'll see verse 23, I have another O, and 24 is another O. But to get the concept of identifying greater things, you have to understand that the status quo is interrupted. What does it mean when I say, hey, let's experience greater things? The status quo will be interrupted. What is the first challenge that the devil will put in front of you in this city series where we talk about greater things, Frank? Jesus was standing in front of them. Jesus read the scripture. Jesus was like, I've been doing my thing for a solid year. It's on like Donkey Kong. The gospel's about to go out. And he's sitting in front of people that rightfully so could have accepted his message and could have been on to greater things. They could have found healing, but they didn't. Why? Because the status quo could not be interrupted. Isn't this, what did they say? Joseph's son. They couldn't identify, we're going deeper. We're going deeper. I'm at the high dive. We're going deeper into this text. Understand what I'm trying to say. They could not see Jesus as Jesus. They could only see him as who? Joseph's son. OCD. The problem with greater things, Pastor Brownlow, is that there's a change. It's a change, Mo. Turn to your neighbor and say, I can do this. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm okay. See, if I were to go like this with these blinds, I would have to convince myself the whole entire message that I'm okay, I can do this. Just kidding. But seriously, 
Why? Because it shouldn't be that way. The blind shouldn't be crooked. It should be straight. And remember what the wilderness taught us. My coffee's kicking in. The wilderness taught us that God will take the mountains and bring them low. He'll take the valleys that are cut deep and he'll bring them high. He'll take the crooked way and make it straight. So what are you understanding about greater things? My life is broken. Okay, I need healing. Okay, then you're going to get it. And what is that going to do, Nick? It's going to produce a what? Change. What's the problem, church? What is the problem? Here's the problem. The problem is, is you're not okay with change. People don't like change. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm okay. I can do this. Say it louder. Say, I'm okay. I can do this. Come on, church. Say, I'm okay. I can do this. Turn to your neighbor and say, OCD. OCD. Do you understand where I'm going with this? He preaches a message and the first thing out of their mouth, they were marveling at at the incredible word that he spoke. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back that thing up. Isn't this Joseph's son? That ain't Jesus. This couldn't be the Messiah. OCD. Everything's got its place. Everything's got its order. Everything should be done decently in order when it comes to the church. But you understand what I'm trying to say. Our lives are chaos. We are sinners. We are not decent and in order. You think you got it all planned out. You think you got your next step for the next 10 years and everything's golden. What happens when your child becomes sick? OCD. This doesn't fit my plan. Job, you give and take away. Blessed be your name. My job was good. Everything was great. I was crushing it. I sound like Chris Rock. I was crushing it. You know what I'm saying? But what happened? I don't know where that came from. Satan. What happened? God's trying to heal you and you're refusing to change. Man, them new songs. And we're trying. We're really trying. We're trying to work together. It's a change. I know it's tough. But watch. Greater things. What do I do? And here's a tough one for me. I'm seeing my child grow. Oh my goodness gracious. She's got an opinion, many of them. I'm OCD in the area of my child. You're going to do it this way. No. God's going to speak to her. And all I can do is just say, honey, you're broken. Honey, you don't have it all figured out. Honey, you better turn to the Lord. Honey, child, you better read your Bible. You better pray. Why? Because greater things will come. Those of us that are, woo help us, got them. Those of us that are leaders, <laughs> those of us that are, I almost tripped on the podcast, that's why that happened. <laughs> those of us that are leaders struggle with this. Isn't that Joseph's son? Look at verse 23. Open sesame. I need to see this for myself. What's wrong with greater things in their context here? They said, verse 23, ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Jesus said, physician, heal thyself. Jesus knew that in their mind, they had to see it to believe it. What's the problem with that? The attitude. Jesus could take away and I still believe. Do you understand? Open sesame. Greater things are not identified when you're asking God to show himself God. Think about how backwards that is. 
God, show me your God. And God's up here going, <laughs> I am God. Relax. I don't need to show you who I am. I am he. Jesus said, I am the I am. Do you understand? I'm the door. I'm the way. I'm everything you're not. Do you really need me to open some kind of door and prove to you that I'm God? Can you not just open your eyes, church? But the problem is, is greater things. Yeah, Pastor Matt's all about greater things. We're going to build. We're going to do. Our lives are going to be great. Our children, they're going to love the Lord. First stumbling block, that first thing. You, You go to your walk with God. You go to your prayer closet and you're like, God, I don't understand that. God, just show yourself to me. And God's like, look around. Stop asking God to show you something and start believing God is doing something. I go to my prayer closet. Show me, God. Show me. God's like, I'm doing stuff everywhere. Don't you see it? Can't you identify greater things? No, I can't because it has to be open sesame. God, reveal. Pull the curtain back, God. God, I need 10 more years. OCD. OCD. It's not your way. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. God's not, God is not there to pull back the curtain. God is not there to take your anxiety away your way. He's there to say, you give me your anxiety. You give me your depression. Cast your anxiousness on him for he careth for you. God, here's my unbelief. Help it. God, here is where I fall short. God, here is my sin. God, here is everything that I'm not because you are everything you say you are. Do you understand? We're going to miss greater things because Jesus said it immediately in the synagogue. This is why I couldn't leave this passage yet this week. You're going to say to me that old proverb, physician, heal, heal someone here. Show me. Heal thyself. Open sesame. Show me what I need to see. God, I don't have to prove a darn thing to you. Excuse the euphemism. Did I say that right? Euphemism? Why are we asking God to show us something when he is working all around us? Tweet that mess this week. Stop asking God to show you something and start believing God is doing something. Do you believe that this morning, church? If you believe that, claim that. I'm going to identify greater things in my life. I'm going to stop asking you to show me, and I'm going to start believing that you're doing. That's my part. He's done his part. He's done it. He is faithful. He can't, Brother Carl, he can't be anything but faithful. He can't, man, I'm about to just go on. What time is it? Lord, Lord, I'm about to just get all kind of excited right now. Why? Because we serve a God who reigns on high, who is who he said He is. Do you understand? Why did they not identify greater things? Because they had to see it instead of believe it. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Church, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, you've never given Him your life, you've never taken the perspective of brokenness and unableness, and I am empty, fill me, then I pray, I beg God to save you this morning, and I beg you to hand your life over to Him. That's why we're here, for lost souls to find Jesus. That's our mission here, that simply Jesus will become a way of life for everybody. And at the end of this message, I'll give you an opportunity to accept Jesus, to fill your brokenness, 
to give you a home in heaven. But understand this. If you're trying to identify greater things in your life, stop asking him to show you and start believing that he's doing. I just, if you miss everything else that is said and done up here, own that statement. Put that statement in your phone, in your Bible, write it down, magic marker on your wrist, whatever. I don't care what you do. Own, don't, if you miss the message, don't miss that statement. Stop asking God to show you and start believing that he's doing. How many of you believe it, church? Say, I believe. believe. Turn to your neighbor and say, I believe it. it. All right. Then stop asking in your prayer life and start believing. Here's the third thing and final thing. Verse 24, look at it. And he said, verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you, verse 25, of a truth. Listen to this. This is mind-blowing. This is why I had to dig one more week into this. This, this truth that I'm about to give you is a complete game changer. Listen to what Jesus says to them. But I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias. When the heaven was shut up three years and six months. When a great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent. Save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elias, the prophet, or Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, watch this, saving Naaman the Syrian. Right then and there, that statement that he makes, verse 25, that truth that he gave, look at verse 28, and all they that were in the synagogue, when they heard these things were what? Filled with wrath. Does anybody understand why at that moment, with that truth that Jesus gave them, because it was a truth, why did they get upset? Does anybody know why the shift changed? What happened? They were going, isn't this Joseph's son? They were still kind of like, maybe going to believe it. They were still stuck in their OCD. No, he's just Joseph's boy. (laughs) Open. Oh, wait, wait, go back one. Go back one. 23. Verse 23. OCD. The second point, open sesame. They still asked him to see it for themselves, right? I want to see you do something here and then I'll believe it. And then Jesus drops the mic on him. I'm not going to do it. Verse 24, open mic. It's about the message. Listen to me. This is a tough one. This is a weighty one. You cannot identify greater things in your life if you're not okay with the message. See, Jesus cut straight to the heart of those people sitting in that synagogue. Let me help you why. They were Israelites. There was a three-year famine in the land. Do you think that there were some widows in Israel during the time of that famine in the Old Testament? Do you think that they had, do you think they had widows in that people group of Israelites? Amen. Do you think that there were lepers, Pastor Brownlow, Amen. in their camp of Israelites? Do you think that, here's the point, do you think that people that were just like them needed to eat and needed to be healed? Yes or no? Yeah. yeah. Jesus says to them, guess what? He, watch, he identified the fact that they were not broken and that they had it all figured out and that they still saw him as little Jesus boy down the street that was Joseph's son. And Jesus said, you're missing the greater things. You're missing the message, and here's why. The message is this. 
If your enemy is being healed, if your enemy being healed bothers you, then you need to be healed. The gospel message, I'm not going to stand on the pew, I really want to. The gospel message is if your enemy gets healed and you're bothered by it, then you need to be healed. Let me explain to you who the widow woman was that received food from the prophet. Let me explain to you who the man was that received healing from his leprosy during that day from the prophet. Let me explain to you something. She was a widow from Sidon. Who was from Sidon? There was an evil king in the land of Israel. His name was King Ahab. He had a wife who was pretty much single-handedly responsible for the entire nation Israel, turning to idolatry, turning to the prophet Baal, turning many away from the true God to a false God. Do you understand? How many of you know the name Jezebel? That name, if you said it to an Israelite, would produce anger. She's an enemy. And she got what was coming to her. She fell out of the window and the horses trampled her and the dogs ate her up. Why? Because she needed judgment. Jesus said there was a widow from the land of Sidon who received food during that three-year famine. Guess where Jezebel was from? Sidon. He looked those Israelites right in the face and he said, let me tell you why you'll never experience greater things. It bothers you to this day that God chose to feed the widow woman from a country that wasn't yours. Naaman was the captain of a Syrian army. The Israelites viewed the Syrians as terrorists. They were terrorists that would rip Israelites limb from limb. And Naaman the captain of the Syrian army dipped himself in the river Jordan seven times and found healing. And when Jesus said to those Israelites, you know why you'll never experience greater things? Because you think an Israelite should have gotten healing that day instead of a Syrian. Church, if we miss this message, we miss the gospel. Go to the next one. Is it in there, that that verse? I don't know if it's in there. No. Listen to this text. Matthew 5, 43 through 44. Ye have heard, it hath been said, thou shalt, love the ni- thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you and do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Who is the person in your life that if they were in the room you would not be enjoying yourself right now? Who is that person, church, that if they walked in the door of the church, you would just, it would bother you. Your hair would stand up on the back of your neck because you just don't like them. They shouldn't be here. This is your safe place. That person hurts you. You want to identify greater things in your life? Love that person. That's the gospel. I have said to you, Love your enemy. What did they do? They were filled with wrath. 
They stood up. They ran him out of the synagogue all the way to the end of the city and went to throw him out. You're not going to come in here and tell me that a widow woman from Jezebel's country should get fed before I get fed. You're not going to tell me that the captain of the Syrian army should get healing from his leprosy before someone in our country should get healing. Our people are hurting. Our people are hungry. My family needs healed. My family. What about me? I need to get mine. Jesus said, if you want to experience greater things, you'll feed the one who took from you. You'll clothe the one who took your clothes. And then you'll experience something called love that you've never experienced before. Don't run me out of here. Don't throw me off the cliff. That's the message. We had to go deeper for greater things. Church, I want to do something greater here. But if you're not willing to call your enemy up and say, you can cuss me out. Wait, whoa, whoa. I love you, and I mean it. I take back all those nasty things I said. What do you need? I'll supply that. If your enemy being healed bothers you, then you need to be healed. If your enemy being healed bothers you, then you need to be healed. 